Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you, are, you yourself are lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Amen. Wow, I've laughed, I've cried, felt it all emotions this morning. Have you? It's already been a great morning. And we have this great passage to read as well as Don just read from Luke chapter 9. Gospel of Luke is amazing. There are so many wonderful truths, revelations about who Jesus is in this passage. And chapter 9 is no different. Uh, I came to chapter 9, it's like, okay, yeah, what's in this chapter again? And as we've gone through it over the last few months, or last month, I should say, it has just jumped off the pages to me. It's so good. And this particular chunk here in 21 through 27 is very meaningful. And I'm praying that this will be even a catalytic moment for some of us here. That as you hear these words being explained, the Holy Spirit speaks to each of us that this would be a moment in your life or maybe there'd be a no turning back moment as we son, that you would surrender it all to Jesus Christ. And so look, if you're not there yet, look open to Luke 9, 21. If you have your physical Bible or you want to use the Bible on your phone, I'll give you a moment to, to find it. Luke chapter 9, verse 21. Don and myself are reading out of the New Living Translation. And let's just go verse by verse over what we just heard read says this, Luke 9, 21. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. It's kind of strange on the surface when you read this verse. Like, Jesus warning those that are listening to his message, hey, don't tell anybody. Because what we know of the scriptures even beyond Luke chapter 9 is that Jesus tells the disciples and he tells us, Tell everyone, go tell it on the mountain. Okay, I'll stop. It's after Christmas here. And so what's happening here? Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone. Well, if you get really even deeper into this verse here, Jesus says the word warning in the NLT, this actually in the original language of Greek, uh, even has a heavier weight to it. It means serious or solemn. Jesus here is staring intently at the disciples, solemnly, seriously at the disciples. He's saying, boys, this is very important. Listen up to me right now. You are not to tell anyone. The disciples probably kind of shrunk back because if you look in the verses right before verse 21, this is the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter says it. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? 
Peter says, you're the Messiah. It's this incredible moment in Luke. It's really the central moment of the gospel of Luke. And then the next verse, Jesus seriously, solemnly, with weight, says, don't tell anybody. Do not, do not tell anybody. And so we kind of look at this verse and it's kind of perplexing. And just a couple of things. We need to put up, put up three fingers. And I just want to go over like three quick truths of, of this verse. Uh, truth number one is this is a temporary call. This is a temporary command from God. Because obviously, as I mentioned, we know as even the Great Commission, Jesus tells the disciples to go into all the nations. And so this warning, this, this solemn call right now is just temporary uh, in the life, in the ministry of Jesus. The second thing, as I mentioned, is it was serious. Jesus really, really wanted this not to get out. And then the third thing is this, is that this was all about timing. Jesus is saying to the disciples, in this time, I don't want you to share who I am. Because my time has not yet come. We read that back earlier in uh, the gospel of uh, John, or later in John, chapter 2, where Jesus performs the first miracle publicly. Uh, his mother Mary is at a wedding, and she says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Do your thing. Do your powers. Turn this water, these jugs of water into wine. And Jesus responds, and he says, Mother, my time has not yet come. Jesus is fully man, fully God, very aware of his timing, and more importantly, of the Father's timing in his life. And so we have this idea here in verse 21 that, that Jesus is saying the time has not yet come for this message to go fully out. I'm telling you, the insiders, the disciples, of who I am, I'm acknowledging who I am. And that time will come when you'll acknowledge who I am. But as for right now, you're to wait. Because we'll read even beyond this passage that Jesus now begins his journey from away from the Sea of Galilee, and now he begins the journey to Jerusalem and the road to Calvary, the road to the cross. And so the disciples now are kind of, their heads are spinning, going, okay, he just claimed to be Messiah. We had this pivotal moment in our following of him. He's telling us seriously, solemnly, don't share this yet. And then what are we to do? And then look at the next verse, verse 22. Jesus then prophesies, predicts what will happen in the timing of his earthly ministry. Verse 22 again says this, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Wow. Jesus Christ, in his humanity and divinity, predicting, prophesying his road to the cross. What will happen to him? It says the Son of Man. This is a hyperlink to the Old Testament. Jesus is referring to one of the favorite titles for the Messiah in the Old Testament, which was the Son of Man. We read in places like Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel prophesies. 
Daniel 9, he says, I see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, and all glory and honor and power will be his throughout not just this area, but all the world, the entire nations, will understand and acknowledge who this is, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the one to come. So Daniel in chapter 9 uses the title Son of Man to prophesy that this glorious Messiah is coming. Here's Jesus in 9.22 saying, the Son of Man, pointing to himself, the Son of Man that Daniel talked about coming in glory is now in your midst, disciples. The Son of Man. But before he gets to glory, look again what has to happen. He must suffer terrible things. The one who is worthy of all praise and honor the one who will be glorified throughout all the nations and into eternity, before his glory fully takes effect, he must suffer, the NLT says, terrible things. What are those terrible things? Well, it says here in 22, he'll be rejected by the elders, the priests, the teacher of the law. This would be the leading council of the Jerusalem temple in the first century. So Jesus is rejected by every wing, in a sense, of the Jewish leadership. Every single council says, who is this guy? This is not the Son of Man. We reject him outright. He is a blasphemer, a liar. They even call him, he's from Satan. So Jesus, the Son of Man, the one that deserves all the glory, suffers terrible things. Part of it is the rejection that he'll face here in this world. And then the second part is this, is that he will be killed. This is the first time in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus predicts his death. Three times in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus will elude the disciples that he is going to die. A couple verses after this, later in Luke chapter 9, and then like 18, 19 is what I remember, is that he again tells the disciples, reminds him, that he's on the road not to win political battles, not to become the most popular person in Jerusalem, but he's on the road to death. He's going to the cross. And so here's Jesus in chapter 9. Again, fully God, fully man, completely understanding his timing and understanding that in God's timing, it's going to include going to the cross. It's going to include suffering, incredible suffering, the type of suffering that's never been known before or after. As the entire sins of the world are poured out on Jesus. The entire wrath of God is poured out onto one man, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus would know suffering like no one else. He was intimately acquainted with suffering. Which, in our daily sufferings, whether that's knee pain or loss of someone you love or not sure where your next paycheck's going to come or just having a broken relationship, in all the things that we suffer here in this world, take heart that we follow a Messiah that is intimately acquainted with suffering and understands and has passion, compassion and empathy on your suffering. Can I get an amen on that? Isn't that good news? 
Suffering is promised to every person. No one escapes suffering in this life. But you have a Savior who walks with you and knows you and understands what you're going through. You know, Lent started on Wednesday. If you don't know, uh, it's Ash Wednesday, what some um, uh, denominations call it. It's the idea of the 40 days before Easter, you're to remind yourself daily of the suffering of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did, going to the cross and dying for our sins. And then ultimately, on Easter Sunday, spoiler alert, he rises again. Right? And so these 40 days are a preparation for us to be reminded and prepare our hearts to celebrate uh, both the the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're only a few days into it right now. I just want to encourage all of us, just brothers and sisters, uh, take advantage of this Lent season. Take advantage of uh, just moments in your day and your routine where you can prepare your mind and heart for what Jesus has accomplished. Sometimes during Lent, there's a tradition of giving up something, uh, just to kind of be a forcible reminder of who Jesus is and what he has done. I have taken the big step here in this Lent season to suffer greatly. I have decided for these 40 days to give up peanut butter. (laughs) It feels so trivial and so light compared to what we just read here in verse 22, that the Son of Man must be rejected. The Son of Man must die a terrible death. The Son of Man must have the the wrath of God poured out on him. And I'm giving up peanut butter. (laughs) But if you've listened to the podcast, you know how much I love peanut butter. And it's already worked these first few days of Lent. I've, I've reached for that peanut butter in the counter, in the cupboard, and gone, no. And just paused for a moment and just said, God, thank you for what you've done, your journey to Calvary, your journey to the cross, the suffering, the terrible things that you would experience. May I remember that in this moment as my hand reaches away from the peanut butter. <laughs> Maybe there's something you want to do as well. Could be something trivial like that. Maybe you want to do something hardcore like give up coffee. Now I'm getting in your business a little bit. (laughs) What would help you in this season? Just a small, gentle, daily reminder of verse 22. That the Son of Man would be rejected and the Son of Man would die. But look at the next verse, the the final moment here of verse 22. And then it says, Jesus says to the disciples, on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Did that happen? Yes. We read a lot in the scriptures, again, spoiler alert, that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Here is Jesus pre-cross, predicting his suffering, his death, and predicting his resurrection. Wow. Amazing. If you ever have a discussion with someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is God, I would point them to Luke 9.22 as evidence that Jesus understood and knew who he was. 
He knew the suffering he would experience. He knew the rejection. And ultimately, he knew the victory and the resurrection, even before it all unfolded. And so here's Jesus uh, prophesying to the disciples. And then it turns in verse 23. You see now as a response that the disciples are called to follow Jesus. And that following of Jesus involves giving something up. Now, if you're a skeptic to Christianity, maybe you'd be reading through the first nine chapters of Luke and you're beginning to fall in love with Jesus because of who he is and, and what he's talking about and, and the things that he's doing. But then maybe you would get to verse 23 of Luke 9 and you'd be like, oh, okay, there's a catch here. I get it now. We, we, there's something that we got to do here. Like Jesus is offering us all these things. And in verse 23, like, wait, what? It's saying here, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must give up his own way to take up his cross daily and to follow me. Is that the catch? We got to give something up? It reminds me of... Um, my friend Jen Ganifke Zellner now, and uh, when she was on our staff here years ago in our youth ministry, one day she came in the office and she was all excited. And I was like, Jen, what's going on? She's like, I am the owner of a boat. She was like 21 years old. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, my friend and I were walking Balboa Island, and there was a sign on a boat at a dock that said, free boat. And there was a phone number on it. And so we called the phone number. And the guy said, it's yours. You can have it. She's like, free? He's like, free. She's like, I own a boat. <laughs> I was like, wow, Jen, that's amazing. I'm like, what are like the rental fees at the dock? Like Balboa, that's got to be a lot of money. She's like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I don't mean to throw Jen under the bus. She's amazing. I was like, Jen, there's got to be some rental fees to, to having a boat at the dock. She's like, I better look into that. She came back a few days later. She's like, Matt, you wouldn't believe the rental price at Balboa Island to keep your boat there. This is horrible. I got to sell this thing. Which is, this is a dad joke, but the two best days in a boat owner's life are the day they buy their boat and the day they sell their boat. That wasn't as funny as I thought it would be, but move on <laughs> but it's kind of like that like oh is there a catch here Jesus is offering us all these things and we get to verse 23 and it's like oh we got to give something up wait what that's the catch there's a rental fee to the dock is that what this is all about here's how I want to frame this and this is upside down kingdom thinking because in our culture Surrender is a four-letter word. Surrender is not something that we embrace or accept in our culture. We embrace the Spartan mantra. Remember the Spartans? Remember the movie 300? The Spartan mantra is this, is Spartans never retreat, Spartans never surrender. Who are some of our heroes in movies? It's people like Rocky Balboa, right? Get knocked down and keep getting back up. Knocked down, keep getting backed up. Those are the people that we celebrate. And rightfully so. It shows grit and determination, passion. 
And yet when it comes to the deep things of life, when it comes to our walk with God, the call is upside down. It's not to grab more, it's to give up more. And it starts with denying ourselves and taking up our crosses daily. That word deny is an interesting word. I'm using it because it's, that's the most common um, word that's used in different uh, English translations. Here in the NLT, it says, give up your own way. And it's the idea of this, is who's on the throne of your life? Who's in the driver's seat of your life? Our default is for ourselves, is for me to be in control of my life, to be the center of my life, to be the captain of my life. Jesus is saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, die, and then rise again. And then your response is to hand over your life to him. And maybe that sounds counterintuitive, maybe it sounds scary, but it's really an act of grace. It's Jesus saying, I know how to take care of your life so much better than you do. If you hand me your life, I will care for you and walk with you and establish you so much better than you could ever do on your own. And yet, we like sheep are often led astray. This is Shrek the sheep. (laughs) Maybe you've heard of him. He was um, living in New Zealand and Shrek the sheep wandered away from his shepherd and the rest of the flock. Uh, His Uh, Shepherd, John, actually thought he had died, that he had been eaten by a wild animal and gave up looking for him, which there's another spiritual analogy there. But Shrek the sheep was actually hiding in a cave and somehow he lived for six years away from the shepherd, away from the sheep. Now, some sheep just naturally shed their wool, but this is a merino sheep. Anybody have a merino sweater on right now? And these type of sheep, they don't shed, they just keep expanding. And so when John the shepherd found Shrek, he was amazed, number one, that he was still alive, and number two, that he looked like this. They call this um, sheep blind. It's when merino sheep uh, literally have their wool cover their eyes. You ever heard that slogan, you know, don't pull wool over my eyes? From merino sheep. And so this poor Shrek the sheep couldn't even see when the shepherd found him. This is such a great analogy of you and I, isn't it? Left to our own way, when we're the captain of our ship, when we're in charge, when we say we know what's best, we just begin uh, to fall apart. The wool gets pulling over our eyes. We become weighted down and burdened. Shrek the sheep had 60 pounds of fleece on him in this photo. That fleece turned into, eventually, 20 merino suits. This is what Shrek the sheep looked like after he was uh, shorn. (laughs) This is our lives apart from Jesus Christ. 
This is our lives when we try to do things our own way. And then the burdens are lifted. The wall is turned off. I know it sounds countercultural. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Wait, no, Sparta away. I'll never surrender. But when you do, the burdens of sin and of having to figure out your identity and your life on your own are lifted. And you experience, and I experience, true freedom. And that's what Jesus is after in this passage. Look at the next verse, 24. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Jesus is saying, put to death the me monster. Put down your life. Take off the rights of your life and then let Jesus pick up those rights. Let go. Surrender. Submit to the good shepherd. And then the next verse, verse 25, it says like this. And, when you, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you, you yourself are lost or destroyed? This is a very famous verse. You've heard it probably before. This idea of what good is it if we gain everything but lose our soul? I just read an interesting article about Shaquille O'Neal, the retired basketball player, Laker star. He said after he retired from basketball to fill the void of of missing the competition and the adoration on the court, uh, he began to uh, serially cheat on his wife. And he lost his family and his marriage. And Shaq said, here I was in a 100,000 square foot house all alone. He goes, what did I have? It was an interesting admission from like a, a basketball great. The same is true as we live this life. What good is it for us to gain even the whole world, all the riches, notoriety, all the freedoms and pleasures of this world, if it means being weighed down by 60 pounds of wool and losing our soul? So verse 24, Jesus very graciously is saying, don't do that. Lay down your life willingly. And then verse 26, it says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man, again, hyperlink the Old Testament, the glory of God in the Messiah, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory, and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. There's this idea that, really the word ashamed probably could be better translated rejected. If you reject the Son of Man, if you reject the Messiah, if you reject Jesus Christ, the one who suffered terribly, who was rejected, who died and then would rise again. If you reject that Savior, he has no choice but to reject us. It's really a, a simple, logical math equation, right? Me plus zero equals zero. Me minus me add Jesus equals everything. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. There's no better life than to give up your life for his. That's the message of Jesus here in Luke chapter 9. Came across just some thoughts, some quotes from pastors, uh, 
preachers as they've reflected on this same passage. I love the Chicago preacher, Dwight L. Moody, said it like this, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Isn't that good? Or Chip Ingram, who was my pastor growing up in uh, Santa Cruz, Chip says it like this, God always has and always will look for men and women who say to him, I trust you so much. I'm all in. I want your way, not mine. I'm willing to live by faith. That's the way of Jesus. That's the upside down kingdom. Not my way, but your way. Elizabeth Elliot, wonderful author, speaker, says it like this. If my life is surrendered to God, all is well. Let me not grab it back as though it were mine, as if though it were in peril in his hand, but would be safer in mine. Isn't that a good thought? Even as we surrender to Jesus for the first time, there's the daily walk with God where it's easy to be like, "Uh, I just want that part back. As if God can't be trusted with that part of my life, my future, my vocation, my relationships. I even take that part back. and, And yet, Jesus is saying, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, surrender daily. Apostle Paul is a great example of this. I love this uh, painting that hangs in the National uh, Art Gallery in Washington, D.C. by Rembrandt. Shows Paul potentially writing a letter. We don't know what Paul looked like, although he, is, he does describe himself as one abnormally born. So I don't know what that meant. Look at the size of his head. It's huge. I don't know. (laughs) But Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2.20, one of the most powerful verses in all of the New Testament. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say this? Is this your prayer? Is this your declaration this morning? It's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. The crucified Christ, the one who suffered and was rejected and died, but then would rise again. Is this the one that I follow? Denying myself, taking up my cross daily. Paul is a wonderful example of laying down his rights and his life to follow Jesus. A couple more modern day examples This is John Lovell. John uh, was an army ranger, special operations, served five tours of duty, four in Afghanistan, uh, one in Iraq. He was a bad man. He was trained to do incredible things. John, as he recalls his early life, says, uh, I was the rebel of all rebels. I ran away from home. I was put in boarding school. I determined in boarding school to be the worst student I could be in that school. I was arrested for um, vandalism multiple times. When I finally did get into college, I majored in partying. He's like, I was the guy, and every college has this, I was the guy on Tuesday morning who was drunk. And so this was John's life. John would go in to serve in the Middle East, He did some crazy operations. In fact, he describes one as, he goes, I would always volunteer to be the first driver in a convoy 
because uh, when you would get ambushed, they would always ambush the first car because that would stop the rest of the envoy from coming. So I would always be that first driver. He says, one day, though, it took the next step. We needed three uh, special op guys to actually walk this valley road out of our vehicles, but just walk it. And our idea was to try to entice the snipers to take shots at us. And then we had helicopters that would fly over the ridge and then take them out. So here is John walking just in this dirt road with two other buddies, hoping that someone would shoot at him. This was John's life. But he describes that one night, and he can't even explain why this happened when it happened. He said one night his heart just started feeling like it was going to explode in his chest. And he just felt this tremendous burden physically and emotionally on his heart as he began to recount all of the sins that he had ever committed. And he had grown up kind of nominally in a church setting, and he understood or he had heard the gospel of who Jesus was. And his heart is just about to explode. He describes it as like, I'm just feeling the weight of sin, the, the guilt of my sin. And I'm just feeling so burdened by that. And then I just invited Jesus to take away the sin of my life, to deny myself, to take up my cross. And he said, in that moment, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I experienced the complete freedom that there is in walking and following Jesus. Just awesome. It's awesome. And John describes it. He said, and I've never, I've never turned back. I've walked with Jesus ever since. Am I perfect? No. But I've been walking with him ever since. As he's taken my burdens. He's taken the 60 pounds of wool. This is Rosario. Rosario is probably the least likely person to ever come to follow Jesus. But it was 25 years ago this week that Rosario gave her life to Jesus. Let me tell you a little backstory of Rosario. She, at the age of 36, was a tenured English professor at Syracuse University in New York. Her specialty at Syracuse was queer theory. She owned a couple homes with her partner. She was a member of the Unitarian Universal Church. She coordinated the church's gay and lesbian advocacy group. And in 1997, she wrote a letter to the editor in her small local paper talking about the danger of promise keepers and how this movement of Christian men that were meeting in stadiums around the United States was going to undermine society. Well, there was a man who read that letter to the editor, and he walked into his pastor's office and he put the article down in front of his pastor. And he looked at his pastor with all seriousness. And he said, this woman needs to be stopped. His pastor at the age of 70, he's still alive, he's 96 now. At the age of 70, looked at the man who had plopped the paper in front of him. Thought for a moment, he smiled. And he said, it sounds like someone that I need to get to know. And he wrote a letter back to Rosario. And that began a two-year process of this pastor and Rosario having conversations. At times contentious, at times very loving, but it was a friendship and relationship that began. And trust began to be built as Rosario heard the good news of Jesus. That Jesus suffered, was rejected, died, and rose again. 
And Rosario, this week, 25 years ago, gave her life to Jesus Christ. It was awesome. Rosario, in her own words, says, I laid down my rights to my sexuality, and I said, God, you own it all. I will follow you above my sexuality. I will follow you above my tenured professorship. I will follow you anywhere and everywhere that you ask me to go. And Rosario, again, not perfect, but has never looked back. As she has laid off the 60 pounds of wool, so to speak, and is following Jesus Christ. Surrender has a reward. It's not only just the weightlessness of having your sin removed, but it also in verse 27 says it like this. I tell you the truth, some standing here now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. This is a gnarly verse, hard to kind of explain. I believe what it's saying is this, is that some, Jesus talking to the 12, the 12 disciples, some will be present at his um, transfiguration in the next verse. So we know Peter, James, and John are present with Jesus when the glory of God falls on Jesus and they see his glory. And so I think it's talking specifically about that some in that circle will see the transfiguration. But I also believe it's talking about a bigger picture, that one day all who follow Jesus will understand and see the true and powerful, the unleashed glory of Jesus Christ when he comes the second time as the conquering hero, the victorious lion and lamb. Amen? This is the glory that we await even now, the, the second advent to come. Jesus Christ, the kingdom fully consummated as we live in now the inauguration, the beginning of that kingdom. I don't know if you can see this on the screen. Yeah, I guess you can. Do you remember this hymn, some of you that are older? This was a hymn that Billy Graham used to sing a lot, Cliff Barrows, when they would call people forward. At the church I grew up in, this was often the song that our pastor would, would sing a cappella as he was calling people to respond and, and surrender. I just love these ancient words. They're so good. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence, daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Can you say that today? Is that your heart stance today? Maybe today the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you want to make today the day. Just like the special ops guy, just by, like Rosario, you want to say, I'm going to stop running and I'm going to come and lay down my life and let Jesus pick it up. I'd encourage you at the prayer points just to come up as we continue to worship through music and do business with God and say, God, I surrender all today. Or maybe you're just in a moment right now where you've begun to kind of grab, you, you surrendered at one point, but you're kind of been grabbing some stuff back. Today, let today be the day you just say, God, I re-surrender my life to you. I take up my cross. I daily surrender. I want you just to end and focus on Galatians 2.20. Can we say this out loud? And we're going to make this our, 
our closing prayer here this morning uh, of our message. Galatians 2.20. Let's say it all together. Just follow with me. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, Father, this is our prayer, that it would no longer be I who live, but you, Christ, would live in me. May that be true of all of us who hear. In Jesus' name, amen.